0: Hello, I'm Harry Glorikian, and this is Moneyball Medicine. The show where we meet executives, entrepreneurs, physicians and scientists using the power of data to reinvent healthcare. From machine learning to genomics to personalized medicine, we look at the biggest trends in patient care and healthcare management. And we talk to people behind the trends to find out where data is making the biggest difference. If there is one thing that is evident by now, it is that worldwide political leaders are not always able to make the best decisions all the time for their respective countries and communities. These bad or suboptimal decisions will often cost us money, time, and more seriously, the lives of our people. Our next guest, Mr. Raid Ghani, has dedicated his life to researching ways using data, AI, and technology to make better decisions, especially in politics. Having been the chief scientist at Obama for America 2012 campaign, focusing on the analytics, technology, and data, Professor Ghani is in the machine learning department at Carnegie Mellon University. He works on developing and using machine learning, AI, and data science methods for solving high-impact social good And public policy problems across criminal justice, education, healthcare, energy, transportation, economic development, workforce development, and public safety. His work includes collaborative projects with government agencies and NGOs, research in areas including explainability, bias, fairness, equity, and developing slash teaching educational and training programs. Without further ado, Mr. Rahid Ghani. Rahid, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, pleasure to speak with you, and uh, glad that you know we were able to connect. The way I read about some of the things that you've done was, of course, in in you were seemed to be the focal point or the center point of uh, the Obama campaign, and how they they understood how to utilize. AI, ML, and different analytical uh, approaches to understand voter sentiment and how to understand how people were, you know, thinking about things and 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 uh, how they might vote in the future. And, and it'd be interesting to hear, first of all, a little bit of your background, obviously, for everybody that's listening, and then a little bit about that project, which I'm sure you've talked about many, many times over by now.
1: Yeah. Well, so before we go further, focal point is, is, you know, uh, extremely exaggerated, but, but I, you know, I, I think my role, so my background is, is traditionally computer science, machine learning before, before it was trendy, uh, and before it was, <laughs> you could tell people you do without getting, getting blank stares. Um, but that's what I did in grad school. And, and what, got me really excited about this area was um, you know I I I wasn't one of those kids who like you know I love programming since I was seven right coding I hated coding I I thought it was pointless I thought computers were supposed to be smart Uh, and then I realized the computers are really dumb and you have to tell them exactly what to do how to do it by that time you might as well just do it yourself Uh, so so when I kind of encountered machine learning and AI, it sort of opened up an area which says, well, yes, computers are really stupid and dumb, but we don't have to tell them exactly what to do. We can tell them the rules of the game and they can play the game and and adapt and get better as the world goes on. And I think for me, that was the piece which got me to thinking about how do I go from there to using these technologies to solve real problems? Um, um, The... The, the, the Obama campaign was, was one of those massive challenges, massive organizations where, you know, people talk about it as a, a startup. Um, and well, it was, it was a startup with all the problems of a legacy organization, you know, old databases, siloed data, lots of people doing things in, in person to, you know, door knocks, phone calls, millions of volunteers. And the challenge is how do we integrate all of this? Combine it, analyze it, and then inform these actions: where who should be prioritized for voter turnout, who should be persuaded, who should be registered to vote, who should be asked for money, um, and and sort of a lot of my role was to to take the things that were happening in the private sector uh, around these efforts and and or coming from academia, newer techniques, newer methods, of machine learning, and see how do we apply these to the campaigning world, which um, um, hadn't caught up to 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 those types of, of things um, and the the idea there was really you know very much one of the things that, that the marketing world talks about a lot is you know micro targeting and, and and one-to-one and individual and that was a thing that political campaigns had figured out a long time ago because all the outreach was individual all the door knocks and the phone calls were not mass targeted or segmentation it was all individual what what was lacking often was, was the analytics behind it that would inform those individual interactions, that the interactions existed, which is the opposite of, of a lot of the the, the the marketing and retail world where um, you had the data to, to figure this out, but not the outreach um, in store at the point of, of purchase and things like that. Um, so the, a lot of the idea was how do we use machine learning, and social networks, and, and, and combine that with behavioral... Psychology persuasion type methods to see you know it's not about predict just about predicting who's going to vote or not vote or donate or volunteer but coupling that with persuading how do we persuade them how do we change the outcome that we care about um, because it wasn't a, it wasn't an exercise in trying to trying to just predict and then watch things happen it was an exercise in in changing the outcomes. Um,
0: well, that sounds like a that sounds like almost like uh, especially at the time you're talking about kid in a candy store playing with, you know, and seeing uh, almost in real time what the effects were. Uh, and that must have been quite interesting.
1: It was. And I think the, the the it would have been a kid in a candy store if you had unlimited time to explore. Um, but. Uh, one of the things about a campaign is that you have a very real deadline, which nothing I've ever had in any other job before. You know, you always have sort of, "Oh, we'll do better next time." And the second thing is you have a binary outcome. It's not, "Oh, we can," you know, "we, we did well." Uh, it's you win or you lose, and there's a very real deadline, which means right. that all your efforts going to have to be targeted towards um, winning, and and sometimes you have to sacrifice those those exploratory things that will be interesting to see what we can do there because you just don't have, have the opportunity to, to explore those things. What's, what's sort of unique about a campaign also is that you've got pretty fast cycles, right? So, so you're, you're getting data regularly, but you're making, you're doing analysis and you're making recommendations about what to do. And then you're collecting data again to figure out what changed. So you're, you're hoping, you know, for the, for the, for the rest of the world, polling is kind of telling them who's winning, who's losing. For a campaign, polling is basically a resource allocation tool, where they're trying to figure out: we did this last week. What was the impact of that, and how do we change that allocation next week? Um, and how do we how do we iterate? Um, which is which is very similar to a lot of other areas we work on. Right? We just I think the urgency makes it all. Um, much more intense and 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 helps you focus on a specific goal uh, whereas in 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 you know that should be the strategy in regular government uh <laughs> in medicine where you're doing exactly this but i think we get distracted because we've got time
0: sometimes well i think that you know to 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 sort of start slanting towards healthcare is you know uh everybody always tells me like you don't understand it's complicated and you know getting people to do things and so on and so forth. And I'm like, I know it's complicated. I mean, I try to manage my own health and I realized like all the little voices in my head and how complicated it is. But I know I can be influenced. I know other people can be influenced. Uh, you know, Marlboro did a great job for years influencing people with the Marlboro Man. So there's a way to, to get people to move in a particular direction. I don't think you'll get 100%. But you can get a lot of people. So now, you know, the Obama campaign gave you a lot of sort of real on the ground tech, you know, experience. And so now I know you're you're at Carnegie Mellon and you're experimenting with a lot of the same tools and techniques, obviously more advanced at this point, but utilizing it for community outreach and healthcare, and and and. Making a difference to, I'm going to call, you know, the average person or or the mass masses out there. Tell me a little bit about how you think these technologies can make a big difference in the world of healthcare or just general health.
1: Right. So so I think for me, the 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 aha moment was really during during the campaign, sort of what one of the lessons learned was really if you can have this, this coordinated organization where you have data about people, you've got, you're making these recommendations and people are acting on them and then you're testing what works and what doesn't work. And if you can mobilize people to achieve sort of these you know goals of winning elections and winning campaigns, um, why not do the same thing for issues that affect that are sort of much, much, much broader, that affect everyone where... They're probably some of them are even less controversial than 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 a lot of uh, political candidates. Um, and so the last sort of several years, about seven eight years or so, what what I've been focused on first at the University of Chicago, and then at Carnegie Mellon is to see can we apply these technologies, machine learning, AI, all the buzzwords that that that, 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 that are now you know, all too common, towards um, improving. Public health, criminal justice, education, workforce development, economic development. And I think that the, the, the idea is, is, is really simple, right? In general, a lot of the things we do in health um, tend to be, you know, we do some, we do fairly macro things. We make very macro policies around everybody should get this X. Um, um, and, and I think everybody should get this vaccine. Well, that's great. We, that's the outcome we want. But often, you don't have enough resources to make sure that that happens. Ideally, we would have the resources, so that we we go convince everyone, we figure out the right person to convince each person using the right message, Um, but that doesn't happen. So so then we have two options. Either we focus on the people who need that help the most, who need that, who are more at risk of of a specific disease or a specific virus, Um, or we figure out what is the right thing that would work for for each individual, each person, right? So, for example, if we're, you know, one of the things that um, we started doing a few years back in Chicago was looking at working with the health department on lead poisoning. Lead poisoning is horrible. It affects way too many children. It has pretty much permanent damage that cannot be reversed, Um, except our government. So we know that this has irreversible damage. There's nothing you can do once somebody expo- has had you know, high levels of blood, uh, lead in their blood. The most common tactic that's used by governments is um, waiting until somebody gets lead poisoning and then fixing things after that. So we know that, 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 that nothing can fix it, yet we still go and do reactive things. And why do we do that? Because of pure efficiency reasons. Because, well, we can't fix every home. That's going to be too expensive. So the way we prioritize is we find kids who have been poisoned, fix their home so that the future kids in that house don't get poisoned. Which is uh-huh. there is some impact, um, but you the impact on the kid you're trying you know who just got tested positive or high, high levels of lead that, that that's almost zero, right? So 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 that's and that's pretty common. In you know we have a lot of reactive policies. We wait until something something goes well, wrong, and, go and
0: it ends up costing you more. I mean, because that kid is not going to be a productive member of society at the same level that they would have without the exposure. Right. That, that
1: kid is going to, you know, uh, mm-hmm. is going to have pretty bad outcomes. Um, their family is going to be affected. Um, it's the community is going to be affected, you know, trying to take generally a lot of these things happen in clusters. Right. So entire communities get affected
0: but this is like everything in healthcare right Every, it, healthcare is generally historically has been reactive you get sick you go to the doctor and they manage you but i think technology now is giving us the ability to get ahead of some of these things right and and i think
1: and that's that's the goal is 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 that there's sort of two things we need to figure out right? one is we need to figure out who Do we prioritize? Because we don't have resources to 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 prioritize everyone as much as we want to, and Mm -hmm. so and that question is a difficult question, depending on your societal values. Do we prioritize people who most need, who are most at risk of flood poisoning? Do we prioritize people who most need the help and will not uh, make it otherwise? Do we prioritize people who are easiest and cheapest to help? Do we prioritize people? Who have who traditionally have had you know, other issues and, and 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 this would make it much worse. So that's one is can we figure out who is at risk and we predict proactively who needs that help, who do we prioritize? The second thing in many problems is how do we actually convince them to change to, to actually change the outcome, right? In the lead poisoning case, it's a little bit easier because we can remove the source of lead, and right. that takes care of the problem. But if we're looking at diabetes, it's another project we're doing with a, with a hospital a clinic system in, in Chicago, was uh, identifying people who might be at risk of type 2 diabetes. Um, and there, yes, you can identify the people, but pretty high likelihood, um, pretty accurately. Um, and same going back to the voting case, predicting who's not going to vote is not that hard, um, or predicting who's, who's not going to vote for us, uh, for a candidate is not that hard. The question is, how do we persuade them to vote for us, and how do we persuade them to change their their lifestyle to not get type two diabetes? Um, and and so those are the two things that we need to couple together: um, is not just prediction, um, but prediction combined with behavior change, and that requires both sort of the the, the data about these individuals, um, but more importantly, it 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 sort of creates ethical issues around. How do we test these ideas? How do we test persuading somebody to see whether they get persuaded?
0: But that's interesting, right? So I would, you know, just from the advertising agencies, from historical marketing, um, you know, credit score data that on how people react and so on, there must be like a ton of data out there on, you know when we when we did y we saw x and when we did z we saw b and and different testing because i i would assume that they all the marketers have been doing this since they gathered their first piece of data right back i don't know go go as far back as you can you would think so it, it, it's this is one of those things which rarely gets
1: collected as data what is collected is what happened what's collected is what did they buy right so So what we typically know is who gets diabetes and who doesn't. What we, we know is who bought a product and who didn't. What we don't often collect very well and, and, and test is what got them to buy that or how, what did, what did the physician try to get them to do to change their behavior and what was done when, and what was the outcome, right? We, we typically see results. We typically see outcomes. We see fatalities, we see diagnosis. So most, hospital EMR data, claims data, has diagnosis codes and procedure codes. It doesn't have, oh, the doctor gave them this intervention. They gave them this advice. Here's what they said in which they said, I'm not gonna do this. Or they asked them, have you been doing this? Like, oh no, I I haven't been working out. I haven't been going and I haven't changed my my. All that data doesn't really get captured uh, in most cases. And the same for marketing. In most marketing um, things that have been done, there's a whole set of tactics in behavioral psychology that exist to sort of persuade people. Right? Things like social proof and, 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 um, and, and, and we generally know that those things have an impact. What we don't know is what types of impact, what types of those tactics work for what types of people, for what types of behaviors. That's sort of the taxonomy that we need in order to say, okay, we're trying to help people change to get employment. Um, or to change their health outcomes um, the, for this person, the best thing to do is for their family members to tell them about how they did something similar and, and, and things change for them like if we knew that, then we could sort of we could one test that, but we could then deploy that but that also comes with again the, the ethical issues around these types of things is 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 who decides what that what that is who decides um that 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 we are able to test with that uh, test that idea, and then but, who decides that that is beneficial for them, um, and then how do we make how do we involve that community into that? How do we involve the people who are being affected into this process?
0: But but I've okay so I mean. There have been paper, like Geisinger has done, they wrote a paper of what they were going to do and then what the outcome of it was. And I've talked to Glenn Steele about this as, as part of my book. And, you know, they put in a monitoring system for their type 2 diabetes uh, population. And the nurses actively interacted with that population to be able to help manage those patients to have a better outcome right? And then the doctors got raised up to manage the harder patients, right? And they saw, I, I, I can't remember if it was something, 23 to 25% decrease in comorbidities, right? So y- you, you have this captive data set of 35,000 people, which is not small. So, you know, somebody's done the experiment. So couldn't you start to use that, that, core data set to drive you know what you would do next to do say broader influencing
1: yeah you you could right so i think i think a couple of things there i'm not familiar with the study so 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 i don't know what the population is i don't know how representative
0: i'll send i'll send you a copy of the paper (laughs) with all those caveats
1: right it's yes if somebody's done this on a on a on a I'd say small number of people, 35,000, um, it's large for, for a study, but, but small compared to the type of number of people who need, who, who, you know, who who we're trying to influence. Um, I, yes, I think, I think step one would be to sort of see, well, how well does it generalize to different populations? Um, because often these studies, um, you know, typically type two diabetes is one where it disproportionately affects minorities. Um, and, and so if the study that was done had uh, the underrepresented people were, were also the people who had disproportionate you know, disparities in there, then, then we have to kind of figure out how well does it generalize to, to people of, of different types? Were those persuasion tactics done? Were those influence done through digital channels or in-person channels? If it's digital, do they have access to those types of, of, of devices that they're using? If it's in-person, do, do the people who were really trying to, to impact and to influence is it accessible to them? Can they come in person to these types of things? All of those, you know. So I think I think step one is to really, you know, if we know that that study worked, the second piece would be to figure out how to test and see how does it generalize to the larger population? Um, does it result in kind of fair and equitable outcomes for everyone rather than the, the typically, you know, uh, the um, white males? Or in this in this in this case, I'm not sure what study was, right? And if, that's the, if, if it does generalize, then you're absolutely right. I think, I think we can start sort of defining community programs that, that involve the communities that are being affected and design. Okay, here's what we're trying to do. Here's our overall goal. We want to reach equitable reduction in type 2 diabetes in this community. Here's a trial we're running. We're going to identify these people. We're going to you know, try to change their behavior. We'll, we'll use the community and the community health workers and the nurses and the physicians to put this program together. Now, what we still need to figure out, one challenge that comes in is, is, again, is we often run into this lack of resources issue, right? In which case then we have to triage. Um, and that's where we need the data, to, you know, we can't try everything with everyone. Um, right. And so which, if you could only try one thing, which one thing should it be? That's where the the, the collected data is really helpful. And that's where we have to collect the data also in the right way right if you only tried one thing with people you don't know the counterfactual you don't know what would have happened if you tried something else and so if it was not done as an experiment then all we know is this person responded or did not respond to this tactic what we don't know is what would have happened if we had tried a different tactic would it have been better Um, worse
0: wouldn't you just love it if the system could play and eventually say, here are the top three ways that, that seem to get the outcome that you're looking for and then implement those?
1: Yes, except each, each turn in this play could cost somebody's life, right? So what we want to figure out is really look. So let's say you, you, you tried this person. <laughs> we're going to try to change their, their physical like a walking behavior. And we tried a tactic that hey, I'm not sure if it's going to work, but it didn't work that person ended up getting type two diabetes. And if you had only tried it, if they were in their group B, it would have worked out fine for them and they would have changed their behavior. And so the question really is, well, how do you do it ethically? But I think that the other question is, how do you do this with lower, lower risk outcomes? Right? Where can, and, and can you figure out a way to generalize from kind of small things, so that you don't have to go and test with the with the high risk situations.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you, you pick uh, could you pick things that have a lower impact, but human nature, you could sort of get an idea of what buttons to push. That's right. And then raise the bar when you move to the next level.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, for example, if you know, one of the big things in, in, in a lot of these things is sort of adherence, right, is do people yeah. And you, you have a bunch of different, you, know, you can do reminders, you can do sort of social proof type things, you can, you can have you know, a bunch of other, other tactics. And so you could try this out with, with, with lower stakes uh, outcomes. Um, and then you still want to test and see, so the large number of people, the trials you run can be with the lower stakes outcomes. And then the smaller number, once you figure out some of those things, we still have to figure out whether it works for people um, for the outcomes that we care about and i think that's where the the more we can do coordinated trials and studies across right it, they're going to be um that's I thing where and, and sharing data across them all i think that's that's one that we don't do very often is we'll share results but we don't share uh, a lot of the, the original data that was collected as part of these types of trials
0: Actually, it was interesting because I was talking to somebody this morning from uh, Takeda, and we were actually talking about that exact same thing. Of everybody holds on to their data, uh, um, or if they give you their data, they didn't give you the metadata, right? So it's less valuable than if it had the metadata with it. And it, you know that for for some of these things, especially in the healthcare arena, that's gotta we have to figure out a way around that. Um, That's right. we
1: have to figure out a way to share that this, we tried this thing with this person and it worked or didn't work. Instead, what we share is 24% improvement in, you know, reduction in diabetes. Well, that's great that on average you improve 24%, but maybe for 10% of the people, it really hurt them. For 50%, it improved 5%. And for the rest, it improved quite a bit. And so if you, if you had that data, you could say, well, these 10%, Don't try this intervention with them because it'll make their outcomes worse. So so I think, and again, that's coming, you know, we started with with elections, you know, in in 2012 campaign, that was one of the things we we learned is we ran these experiments to persuade people to vote for Obama. And then we measured their change in support for Obama after the persuasion. And we found that, you know, some people became more more supportive after somebody went and talked to them. Some people kind of kept the same. But then we found people who's who were negatively persuaded, <laughs> uh, and those were the people. At that time, we said, "Well, no, 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 don't talk to them. We're gonna, we nobody should talk to them because if we talk to them, they're gonna start going against us." Now that's a political campaign, so we don't need to convince everyone to vote for us. Correct. Well, uh, so not talking to them is fine, um, but in a in a health situation, we have to figure out what else can we do. What are the other types of interventions we have that are positive for these people and identifying them and and focusing on them. um, And that's where I think a lot of, you know, research and foundations can, can put money in, in identifying gaps. Like who are we leaving behind today? Our interventions are measured right now at, you know, the effectiveness is, is at a macro scale, right? 10% effective, 20%, 30%. We need to go much more finer grain and say, well, for these types of people it's this much for these types of people it's this much for these types of people it didn't do anything so let's now focus on on those people who who, who are being left behind um, because we can't just live with averages you know for, forever
0: so now fast forward right Obama campaign you know now we're moving forward to today technology has moved a lot faster um, the chipsets we have now are orders of magnitude uh, more sophisticated. The software has gotten better. Cloud computing has gotten more abundant and cheaper. Um, Where do you see this technology, these capabilities going and the impact it having on health and health outcomes? Because if we're moving to a value-based payment system, this direction has to become front and center for every healthcare system, otherwise they're, right. they're not going to be able to achieve their goals. Right. And, and I think,
1: no, that's a, that's a good point, right? So, so I think the technology has existed for a while. It's not as if you know, six months ago, two years ago, five years ago, all of a sudden technology changed, so now we can do value-based healthcare. Um, at some level, the technology has existed. It, it's better now, it's, there, there's more data, their f- computers are faster. I think the, the, the issues have more been organizational and political than, than technical. And so right now, um, what's required to kind of figure out value-based you know, payments and value-based healthcare, it's really what's, what's the cost of this person if I don't do anything? And how much will it cost me to prevent like it's it's fairly straightforward i'm i'm doing this calculation which which actuaries have been doing for a long 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 time right right what are the risks associated with this person if i don't do anything in my community because i am responsible for this entire set of people here is the cost um and then what can i do now um, um that's preventative that will reduce that cost and and then going on and executing on that right so i think I think if we put these types of, I'd say regulations in place really, because, because that's, I think, what's, what's really needed is you have to achieve these goals and these goals have to be not average. Um, on average, you have to spend this money. It's, it's more, I think well, today that a lot of these, these payment systems are not uh, focused on equity. They're focused on kind of average. Like we're going to give you $5,000 per person. Um, you want to say is no, 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 I'm not going to give you $5,000 a person and you do whatever you want with it. I'm going to give you this much money for this, but your goal should be that everybody ends up with equitable, equal risk of type two diabetes, for example. Right. Um, and that's a very different framing because with the $5,000, what you might do is take the 10 highest risk people who you can easily change and go after them and say, look, I know I'm, I'm done. Um, that doesn't get to, it doesn't get to equity. So I think, I think what's missing from the value-based healthcare, it's not the technology right now is sort of a little bit more fine-grained thinking around, um, how do you turn that into equity focused value-based payment and value-based healthcare? And then that's kind of on the goal side, right? So what are your goals? How do you want to, what are you designing? Second thing is, do you have the right data? Do you have the data for and, and I think that requires data sharing across both hospitals, health departments, pharmacies, pharmaceuticals, you know, um, because each of those have different data that's that's useful. Um, and, and we don't have a good way of, of sharing this in a way that's both protects people's privacy, but still is actionable. If it's anonymous, it's not actionable. If, if it's totally open, then it's, it's too risky, so we kind of need to figure out data sharing practices that are not difficult. I think it just needs to be done, and then we need the, the analytical infrastructure in place to be able to combine that data, figure out who are the people actually at risk, figure out what's what's going to 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 change their behavior, and then an experimental infrastructure to actually run these tests and see what works. Like Micro test, right? We're not doing massive changes. We're testing things continuously because things are gonna change over time. So with the right goals in mind, the right data infrastructure, the, ana- the analytics, the experimentation, and and very much a community-based design, I think that's, that's the system we need in order to truly do sort of equitable value-based healthcare.
0: So are, do you have any examples of any of the things that you've done that, that, that cause you're, you speak as if like you're talking about a very you know specific experience as opposed to something in general. Um, well, I've done pieces
1: of it, So that's the challenge with, with doing projects with with an, an organization, um, that when I'm working, so, so I work a lot with government agencies and i work some hospitals and, um, you can only do one piece, right. Um, and, and that one piece. Uh, so, so the part that we focus on a lot is how do we come up with these sort of goals and, and, you know, how do we combine the goals of efficiency and equity and, and effectiveness design a system that's able to get this data and, and and run these these types of models? So I'll give you one example. It's, it's somewhat in the, it's a health space, but it's kind of criminal justice and health. So there's a project we've been doing for a few years with a county in Kansas called Johnson County. So the border of Missouri and Kansas, and they, like many other places in the U.S., I mean, it, Many other places that they have a you know recidivism problem in their jails, right? So huge incarceration rates, and one of the root causes, which uh, is um, unmet mental health needs. So a lot of people who have mental health needs, and and the outcome is they they end up cycling through jails. Um, and so in their case, they decided, look, we've got some resources to proactively. So right now, what they so they had, assist, they had a team that was a mental health outreach team. What they would do is. When somebody would um, uh, get released from jail, they would try to contact this person in the first few days to sort of see if they needed any any support, any help, Um, and that was just a routine thing. And that wasn't resulting in any any reduction. So they came Mm -hmm. to us and said, "You know, we want to. We have some extra capacity. We want to be able to try out doing outreach to a couple hundred people a month um, to see if um, if we can provide them with mental health services. And our goal is to reduce recidivism." so we sort of worked with them to kind of figure out what are the overall goals so we want to make sure that we use these resources efficiently but we also use them to effectively reduce the recidivism rate but to also make sure that it's being reduced in an equitable way so if we only focused on the on people who were cheapest or easiest to help we leave people behind so we want to make sure it's not doing that it's not increasing disparities right. and so step one was sort of trying to figure out these goals step two was what data do we need for this well we need data from the jail system obviously you know who's coming in and going out right. but that's not enough we need data from mental health services to figure out who's had encounters with mental health but that's not enough because we they're not they might not be going to mental health they might be going to emergency department and, and so we need data from you know er and 911 calls um or we might admit there's other criminal justice things going on with the police We need data from the police so we sort of work with the counter to get access to all of this data and they did an amazing job of sort of pulling all these things together. So now we, we kind of see a person across these systems. And we can then build the analytical infrastructure to predict how what's the risk of this person coming back to jail. Um, and we can now look at their historical mental health history and see that they have mental health needs and they're high risk of recidivism. Um, and we find that actually we can pretty accurately predict who's going to be coming back to jail, which is fine and a good first step, right? But, but that's not enough. Like now we can figure out who we need to help. The question is, can we help them? So we actually started a trial about 12 months ago um, with uh, this county where they, we're, we're giving them a list. They're going out and doing this mental health outreach to that set of people. And we're, then we're getting this data back to measure two things. One, is it actually reducing their recidivism rates? Because that's the whole point. If, right. if you predict them and watch them go to jail, that's horrible and depressing. And so that's one. Second thing that we're testing is what I was mentioning about the, the healthcare world. doses, is what types of people is this intervention working with and what types of people is it not working with? Um, so that when we actually implement it after the trial, this intervention goes towards people who it's more likely to help and the new interventions get designed for people who it's leaving behind. So that trial is just finishing now. Um, and over the next 12 months, we're going to be getting this data back to measure how many people actually return and you know, come back to jail in the next 12 months compared to the ones you know, based, based on the people that intervened on versus the people that they didn't have capacity to intervene on. So that's an example of a much, much, much smaller scale system, still an ambitious big problem, but, but we're kind of tackling a small piece of it saying, can we take the people who have unmet mental health needs? Can we proactively, can we identify which of them are at risk of recidivism? Can we uh, intervene and see if this intervention is effective? And if it is, then we can implement that type of program um, and iterate on on who it's not working on. So let's, we'll, we'll and, find out over the next 12 months, you know, if, if it and, works.
0: And the sneak peek, the, you, you, do you know if it worked? Don't, don't know, right?
1: Because it's one of those things where they, well, t- two reasons. One is they've been doing this for the last 12 months. So now we're going to start for the first month. We, basically the idea is if the people they intervened on 12 months ago, how many of them have come back to jail in the last year, right? So so in one month, they only intervene a couple of hundred people, 150 people. And so we don't have enough numbers to know until twelve months have passed to find right. out. And so right now, I just have you know, that's it's one of those things where you just don't know at all. And then especially given the COVID situation the last few months, that's going to be uh, mixed up in there. So we're going to have to figure out how to how to tease that apart and, and figure out you know um, the effectiveness of this. So that's just that that's just comes along with you know doing these live trials. <laughs>
0: yeah no 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 they're they're. it's it's extremely complicated um but you know like i you know i actually believe the technology is getting better i think we're understanding how to do these things better i think depending on the disease sensor systems are getting better cheaper so you can monitor things over a longer period of time so i i I just see this if if implemented properly um and people actually pay attention to the data that you could move the ball forward faster it's just getting this distributed to to more systems once you prove that it works and that's the part that i always have issues with like one group one place did it and everywhere else says well we haven't done it our population is different and they don't pay attention to the to the uh Study and they don't implement it themselves, which makes it difficult to have a broad nationwide impact on healthcare. Absolutely, I mean
1: everyone thinks they're special, and you know, turns out all of us are not that special. Most of us, are. <laughs> yes, well, uh, who we know, and, and and similar tactics work on you know on on all of us. So I think, I think if we, and that's that's the thing. Is I think I think that as you were talking about, you know, the, the being able to coordinate these types of tests and and these trials to 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 make sure that they're representative of different populations so that when, when we get results we can say look it's worked on these types of people didn't work on these types of people so the next one go focus on these verify this and investigate this right, like, that, right. it just i mean
0: it would be co- you'd constantly be able to make it better if we had some sort of process of doing that
1: exactly because we don't have to start from random we can start from what we know works and adapt from there as opposed to starting. Yes. Well, anything could work. So let's try everything as opposed to, well, this is the current best approach. Let's start from there and then adapt from there.
0: Yeah. Uh, I hate saying it, but sometimes you almost wish this was centralized. Um, I think it should
1: be centralized. I think I think that's where, you know, I mean, this is an interesting piece there because a lot of this is done by, by pharmaceuticals independently. But you know in a world where where we had a more uh if we had a better centralized you know uh, i'm not going to use i'm not going to call it an fda but some Mm -hmm. other body that could sort of have incentives for 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 some sort of centralization right because because overall i mean that's the problem it's globally better but it may not be locally better for for each each pharmaceutical based on their, you know, their own, own, uh, business goals. And so the question is, how do we, how do we align those business goals with, with, with the, with the global social goals?
0: No, no, I agree. I mean, I, you know, the, the more and more I look at where this is going, the the more you can centralize different data sources, the more testing you can do, the more, refinement you can do, and therefore the more impact that it will have um, in the long run on a broader level of people. Right. That's the hope. So, well, it was great to to talk to you. I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I hope that all your work turns out positively, although that's impossible when you're, when you're doing experiments like this, but one can hope for the best.
1: Hopefully we'll learn something and, and hopefully you know, it's going to result in something, something better in the future.
0: Excellent. Great. Great talking to you.
1: Talking to you as well. Thanks.
0: Thanks. And that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed Moneyball Medicine, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is greatly appreciated. Hope you join us next time. Until then, farewell.